0: So th- this topic, Beezra HaShem, we're going to start off with thanking, first of all, the Wiesenfeld family who is joining us um, and um, who are sponsoring this evening, Drs. Leah and Alan Wiesenfeld, upon the site of Leah's beloved father, Rabbi Marvin Bolson, Pinchas Matis Ben Yosef Mordechai Olav HaSholom, whose site will be, I believe, this coming Motzei Shabbos. Um HaShem, and he should have continued Alias Neshama. And uh, his hashpah, his continued influence, should only continue and expand as you watch the children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren, Mrs. Balsam, um, um, with tremendous nachas in gesund for many years to come. Um, thank you for joining us this evening. I'm so glad you could be here with us. Um, let's 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 do a little bit of learning together. So our, our topic this evening. Is a fascinating topic. It's a t- every every year when it comes into the Megillah. I think it, it behooves us to t- focus on a different aspect, a different part of the Megillah. And being as this is a Nach Shir, we're going to focus on one aspect of Nach. So the aspect that I, we were just starting, just getting 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 into just a few moments ago, was the following: Esther and her culture. Esther really as a Jew, a Jewish Persian or a Persian Jew, which is part of the difficulty in this whole story. Is we're told in the second Perak that we have Achashverosh is in this unbelievable moment of you know in a drunken stupor he executes his wife and now as opposed to fixing things decides that the best way to to solve the the problem is to now bring all the maidens into Shushan for his own um, uh, for his own um, grotesque pleasure and ultimate marriage. I um, and when the news reaches. Um, the individuals, and here's an example of when it reaches one individual family. One has to imagine what that family would be thinking when you hear that terrifying knock on the door, when you know that there's going to be this edict which is going to search every house. What do you do? How do you respond to a culture which is not just foreign, but a, a, a culture which is at odds, which is antagonistic to everything you stand for? Um, so this is this is the debate that's going on, and we see a very specific action taken by this family. Here's what we hear. We're in the second parak, um, and this is before the Megillah gets loud. At this point in time, it's just at this point. Um, there's no Hamans. Is we're just talk, talking about the the culture in Shushan in Persia. So now the edict goes out. All the young maidens are taken to the house of the king or to the special palace under a man by the name of Haggai. And it describes how she finds favor in the eyes of all who see her. But the one thing that she, that, that she withholds is in Pasuk Yud, she does not tell Es her people, the Es her birth, Ki Mordechai Aleha Asher Loy Saiged. Because Monachai told her not to. And so you wonder what what, what this piece of advice was for. Was this the general culture in their house? Sort of just, just don't speak to strangers. Was this the piece of advice necessary for her to survive the unknown? For we don't know how long this would even last. And if it is meant to be that piece of advice, why is this the piece of advice? Why would this necessarily guarantee or give some some degree of success to Esther so that's going to be the question our opening perspective over here it seems like a a obvious fact but if the more you think about it the less likely I think we would be to give this advice to our daughter slash niece in this situation if this were us trying to protect the person being abducted by royal edict so why is this the case so I like to explore some of the mafreshim and just think about it in contemporary terms. Think about it in a culture which is foreign, which is complex to us. As an example, um, we, but before we get to the earlier models of this, just a, a, a simple, a simple perspective that Rashi and the Ibn Ezra shared, but from different sides. We're perhaps most uh, most commonly aware of Rashi's suggestion where he says, what is the reason why he is telling the piece of advice he gives to his beloved niece, daughter, perhaps wife, depending on which version of Midrash we're, 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 we're looking at, is the, the Rashi tells us, why, If she does not reveal her identity, they must think that she comes from some sort of, you know, difficult background, and that's not going to fit, be fitting for the king, so they'll throw her out. If they knew that she had royal blood because ultimately Mordechai and Esther come from the family of Shimi and ultimately Kish, which is ultimately the family go back way, way back when is the family of Shaul HaMelech. Knowing that would be more of a reason for her to in fact stand a chance of winning the heart or the prestige of the king. And so in order to avoid that Ultimately, um, Mordechai is telling her to hide this. So if you ask yourself, so what is Mordechai trying to do? He's really trying to manipulate the circumstances for the favorable outcome. And the favorable outcome is, is Esther will be rejected. Let's continue with our regular life. We don't need you. We don't want any grandeur. We don't want anything to do with you, O oh King. So that seems to be the way that Rashi understands it, which makes a whole lot of sense, which now explains why this is the the parting message as the guards drag her out of the house and Molochai calls after her. The words of advice he gives her is don't say where you come from, right? People usually only don't, uh, people only refrain from telling where they come from usually when there's a problem there. So let them think there's a problem. Let them think that there's some sort of compromised background. That's the way that, uh, that, that Rashi suggests it. Now. That being the case, even the Ezra actually flips it and says the opposite, because you have to ask yourself on this Rashi: Is to us coming from the Yehus of base Shaul is a wonderful thing, and we there are people who have great pride in their families as they show their family, you know, their family geolo- uh, genealogy on the wall, and they show how many generations there are from which figures in in, in G- Jewish leadership and Torah leadership, you know. But one has to ask oneself: Is this really something that Achashverosh? A man who can't think between uh, beyond his next drink. Is that something that really, uh, really matters so much to him or not? So even Ezra has a, a little bit of a different permutation on this. And, uh, and he says, suggests, in his second suggestion here, he says, The opposite. If they find out that she's a Jew, then there's less of a likelihood, they're not going to, he won't take her. Now, let's think about that. So what does the Ibn Ezra really mean then? If she were to say, I'm a Jew, they would reject her. Dirty Jew, right? We don't want any Jews in Persian parliament. That's that's what the response would be. So therefore, what's Monachah's advice really doing? It's also trying to manipulate the outcome according to the Ibn Ezra. But in this case, the manipulation is on the opposite side. Here you have a tactful, we'll call it politician. Mordechai ultimately wants Esther to, to, to be taken, to be, um, to, to be incorporated into the royal family for whatever reasons he has, perhaps knowing the future. But this is the way he's manipulating it. Rashi and Ibn Ezra essentially share in common one theme, and that is, is that Mordechai is trying to manipulate the outcome of the decision-making by not telling. Now, according to Rashi, not telling is, in fact, a de- is going to be a demerit to her, whereas according to Ibn Ezra, it is a merit to her. Whichever way, it comes from the same perspective of Mordechai trying to adjust how the decision-making process will, in fact, come. Two, two, two different perspectives within the same framework of thought. Okay, folks. Interest, just an interesting a, a starting point. This is this is um, is um, the, the the question. Now, I'd like to just point out one interesting thing here that we can we can ask ourselves, and that is is what would I'm just going to put a put a mute for the background. Um, but please feel free to jump in with questions at any point. Okay. Um, so the the questions like this some excuse me um, here we are. okay so 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 one question we could ask us uh, ask is um, is the following is that you know we can sort of transition this into our perspective on what um, on, on what we would do in our culture. you know we could ask the same question is is our Judaism something we're proud of or is it something we're ashamed of? Is it something that we think those around of us would be proud of those who are not of Jewish culture or is it something which, We think they would be ashamed of as well. These are the questions that Rashi and Ibn Ezra are triggering. How important is it that we're proud of and openly proud of our culture? Is the question that is being raised over here when it comes to Mordechai and, 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 and Esther. But let's take it one step further as well. You'll notice that this is not the first time that people of the nation of Israel are a little bit hesitant about talking too much about their mishpacha, about their family. So as an example, if we go back to our, our greats, you know, in, um, in Avram Alvinu and Sarah, Avram and Sarah are making their, their way down to Egypt in a famine and Avram already starts, you know, playing, playing a, playing a little bit with the relationship there. So he tells at the beginning of Lech Lecha, he says to Sarah, "Imri please say you're my sister. Somehow he doesn't want to be exactly upfront. About the relationship they have now, that's because of the immorality of the na- of the land of Egypt. But one can already start hearing this manipulation about how and who you are is central to the success of this next of this next moment. In fact, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a surprise that the Midrash Rabbi Akiva actually related the fact that Sarah lived to 127 years is connected to the 127 countries that Esther ultimately became queen over. Meaning to say they shared something. Maybe they didn't just share in common the number 127. Maybe they also shared the fact that somehow their identity was veiled as they entered into dark situations, later to be the one who arises uh, as a heroine in a complex uh, environment. One should think about that as well. As a, as a, late, a, a later point, when it comes to uh, Yitzhak, when he is going into the diaspora reality, again, all these are diaspora realities. So he is now going into the area of Gerar, which is the area of Gaza today, the Philistines are in control. We told by and Shemakom Again, he asks Rivka, please don't tell your outright relationship. Don't say where you exactly your relationship to me. Um, why? In this case, Kiarei lemayishdi, Peniarguni and Shemakom Rivka he was worried, again, about the immorality, the fact that there was no iraselo kim, that there was no fear of God, and ultimately it would lead to, God forbid, some sort of murder, perhaps, as well. So we see it, when our patriarchs and matriarchs entered into systems that were foreign, they were a little more careful about the way they expressed themselves in terms of their relationships. Now, each of these cases requires its own investigation, but suffice to say that, that, that this, this should be some sort of model. A similar kind of thing happens later on not about wives and husbands, but when it came to the children of Yaakov Avinu, if you remember, when Yaakov Avinu sends down his sons to Egypt to go and get bread, to get to get uh, sustenance because the, the famine has struck the earth so terribly, what ends up happening is is that um, he says he he sends them down and he sends all the brothers, but Binyamin. So it's ten brothers. Then yeah, um, the, this viceroy, unbeknownst to them who is Yosef, takes captive one of the brothers, Shimon, incarcerates them, sends them back. And now they're trying to plead to Yaakov, their father, that they need to go back to Egypt. And Yaakov is very concerned. And here's what Yaakov says. <speaking in Hebrew> Why did you tell him that you had a brother? Why don't you tell this man that you're a brother that now is going to leverage you to bring this brother Benjamin down? And and, and they explained to him that we didn't know and he innocently asked us and we just relate that information out and without knowing that he would have this whole grand plan. But in the end of the day, what you see from here again is a reluctance in a foreign environment to be so open with the way that you describe who your family is and where you come from. So much so, in fact, that the, the Haim Akdavar, um and no, Naftali Tzu Yehuda Berlin, on his commentary on the Chumash, right there says, um, he says, ksiv shayka, ksiv Yaakov was called, not Yaakov as he was in these years lacking prophecy, when his son Yosef had been abducted, but he was called Yisrael. Kibob das because this is a kernel of wisdom to be learned for all generations. What is that? all the nations like ourselves who would be in a diaspora reality What he's saying is is I'm telling you that the reason why this is codified in such a way under the name Israel is because it relates to every one of us. And that is that in a exile reality, we have to be a little careful. We have to trust and verify we have to be a little more circumspect about what it is that we say and what is that we don't say and not to be so careful, not, not so open in offering uh, pieces of advice, which could come back or pieces of information which could come back to hurt us. In the case of Avram and Yitzhak, it's about their relationship to their wife. In the case of Yaakov, it's about the fact that they had another brother and pushing this forward. If you think about the same logic, when it comes to Mordechai and Esther, it's her relationship to her culture and her family. Be careful says, says Morakai, oh, as a diaspora Jew, you have to be very careful about how open you are, how connected you are to that society as well. In fact, the the Maral in his Pirush on the on, on the Megillah called Or Orchadash says a very beautiful idea as well, similar to this idea, and he says the following there's an eighth source, Morakai was concerned, Ki shi shi al kol hasarim they were concerned that if they knew that she was of Jewish origin, she would, in a nepotistic way, elevate all of her family and cousins and, and, um, and, and, you know, the whole, the whole business, they're all going to be part of the Persian government soon, and thereby manipulated that the others of, we'll call the more pure Aryan Persian blood would be pushed out. What they're gonna say? Those Jews, they hate foreigners. They're gonna use their power to push out all those natural Persians who made their way in this culture. And in fact, seduce the king against those those people. And they would definitely want a queen of their own, of their own culture. So they will set up, um, they will set up, unfortunately, attacks on her, um, whether they be true or not. Until she'll have the same end as Vashti, because... As we can see, whoever has the ear of Achashverosh seems to be winning at that moment in time. And if they can have that ear, they will get rid of her. So again, it comes down to the same reality is, is as Jews in a foreign environment, it's just fascinating to watch. So many times Jews just really want to succeed in the foreign culture they're in. Wherever it be, Ukraine, Romania, France, England, America, Australia, wherever the tides have washed the Jews up, all they want to do to their culture is just prove that they can be loyal subjects to their culture, and all their culture says to them is, "We don't really trust that you're so loyal because you're going to just elevate your own and 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 continue your own agenda," which unfortunately is 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 a sad reality. It's a sad reality we have to contend with in exile. And what Mordechai's advice to her is is play it play it low. Don't don't show all your cards. Don't necessarily emphasize the fact that you're, you're Jewish because these things come back to bite you. And I would add over here, if you want to add to the morale, let's say there would be a policy, a new tax policy, which requires a more of a welfare state, and that's going to demand high tax bracket from what we we'll call middle-class earning. Who are they going to all blame when that tax hits? It's the Jews. And Mordecai understands that reality. He understands the reality of being, on the one hand, a very hard-working and loyal citizen of the country you're in, but not overemphasizing the Judaism which people will ultimately emphasize no matter what happens, whether it goes right or it goes wrong. A complex reality, a reality which is worth thinking about. Spinning off of that, perhaps another angle. Rav Soloveitchik suggests in his... There's recently, a few years ago, they came out with what's called Mas, Masoret HaRav on a number of things. And on the, on Miguelas Esther, there's a beautiful pirusha which is based, it's culled from other of his explanations or writings. And I think this is a very beautiful idea, which is something I think we can relate to very clearly today. He says the following. Had Mordechai abandoned caution and adopted the a- attitude of the arrogant fool, had he let everybody know that he was related to the queen... He would have commanded their respect. Like you can imagine, every dinner reception, you know, he'd be the prize speaker of every Zoom conference. Mordechai, you're related to her. Unbelievable. Right? He'd be their way in. Maybe you can help Mordechai. You can get us passports because, you know, we have to work out getting it. Now you know the queen. Maybe you could put in a good word in the the Homeland Security Grant office. Right? So you can imagine he would be, you know, the big cheese because of his relationship. However, had he been proud and vain, had he boasted that he, he is a relation of the queen, the whole miracle would not have happened. The miracle was made possible by Mordechai's caution and humility. He was silent, humble. He was waiting for something to happen. He knew that the more fantastic the success story, the more vulnerable man is, and the more intense is the need for prayer. Vulnerability of man is proportionate to his greatness. The greater the success, the more vulnerable he is. Mordechai knew that if, as Esther climbed up the, to the very heights of success, the deeper became the abyss into which she might plunge. Because of Mordechai's humility and because of his awareness of, of, of vulnerability and caution, the great miracle happened. In sum, vulnerability leads to humility, humility to caution, and caution leads to success. That's from days of deliverance. that a remarkable perspective? In other words, the whole idea of not revealing the identity of who Esther was, and where a culture comes from wasn't as much a function of Esther as it was of Mordechai in other words this was really about the people connected to her not benefiting out of that connection and you know it's so funny you see this all the time when somebody is oile Ligdula, and worthy people who deserve to be there suddenly everybody and their cousin wants to be connected to them Autographs and be I, you know I, 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 I remember this when when uh, our 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 friend and neighbor, David Freeman became ambassador. I remember it was the first Pur of uh, right afterwards and they had a, a candle lighting a, a Hanukkah candle lighting in the park. And David Freeman had always been lighting the menorah for chabad for many, many years. He's, he learns with Rabbi Wallawick. It's a wonderful thing. And that year that he became the ambassador, suddenly there was a huge crowd That Everybody wanted to, <laughs> to, to be there, to be connected, and to show that they had some sort of connection. And it was wonderful, and he did incredible things. It's just from the perspective of the bystander, the perspective of those who want to be more connected, Cesar Soloveitchik, Mordechai exercised humility because of the vulnerability over here, and that ultimately led to the success of the situation. Something worthwhile thinking. It's important over here. Sometimes, how much do we emphasize our identity or our connections? How important is it for us to to show the whole world when sometimes it's better sometimes in hate for things to develop at their own pace and at the appropriate time to emphasize connection. That's that's what the Russell of H suggests over here. I think a very 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 telling and very appropriate thing over, uh, to to think about. I would like to to, to suggest to clo- close the loop though is at the end of the story a very interesting thing happens. So she finds favor. She doesn't reveal her de- identity. She she manages to keep us. Oh, one. Oh, I'd like to. Sorry, I'd like to add one last perspective here, which is a, a fascinating perspective, and that is is that um, uh, Rav Alkabetz, Rav Shoma Alkabetz, who's also the author of Lecha has a book called Manos Halevi, which he wrote. It was actually published posthumously, uh, I believe in 1585, um, on the Megillah, and in it, Rav Alkabetz makes a fascinating suggestion over here where he, he points out that this story talks about um, essentially coercion. If you're thinking about the words that were used, even earlier on when we looked at Esther as being taken, we, the word used over here is vatilokach Esther el beis hamelech, and she was taken, right? So that, that that speaks of coercion. And in fact, the later words also describe it, how she was taken with coercion says the the, the Manasa labor of Alkabetz that her not revealing her name emphasizes the coercion of the situation. Because from the perspective in retrospect, when we look at this afterwards and we say, you know, wow, Esther was this great heroine, there will be people who will say, well, yeah, no, actually, she was in it for herself. She thought this was a great ticket, you know, have a relationship with the king and now you get to live in a palace, drive a Corvette, have servants every day. You, you now, you, this is it. You've made it. And the the, the is actually emphasizing exactly the opposite, both in the way that she was taken and even in the way that she dealt with those around her. Hegai is the most important person over here. You can imagine. Every girl's family who wants to have a queen in the family is probably sending him roses every Friday. And they, they, they want Hegai to, to set their girl up as the, as the, the future queen. This is amazing. But Esther expresses co- the fact that she is, in fact, the victim of coercion, even the way she deals with Hegai as well. The Manoslavi points this out. This is very, a very important point of, in terms of re- Esther's relationship to power. It was not one of willingness. Finally, as this, as the story concludes, looking at these different four different perspectives, the story concludes with the following words. So we hear that the king finds uh, finds uh, great endearment and, and loves Esther dearly. And he chooses her. After choosing her, he makes this grand feast, one of many feasts in the Megillah. I'm sorry. Is it possible to scroll down a little bit on the slu- on the shared at- screen? We're at- still seeing source number one. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I have. It seems to be slow. Let me. How about How about I'll do like this? Let me stop and start again. Okay, and then we'll see if that if that works. Okay. Um, my screen is frozen. Okay, my apologies. It looks like I froze a little while back. Okay, there we go. I was talking to myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> there we go. One second. Whoops. One second. Let me see if I can screen. Screen. Yeah, here we go. Do, do like this. Okay. Here we are. At the end of the story, we're told the following the following, the following, words. Is that after this great feast happens, he makes this great feast for Esther. It's wonderful. He makes a tax a, a, a tax benefit from all the people. According to the bounty of the king, he gives gifts out. I mean, it's a grand festival for Esther. Amazing. What would you expect to be the next pastor What would you expect to be the next step of the story? I don't know. Um, her policies. Mordechai's relief. I don't know, some, something. So what, what is it that she achieved? Listen to the next Pasuk. The king gathered all the girls a second time. And Mordechai is, is sitting in the gateway of the king. And then, And she's not telling anybody. That's, that's a little strange. Why are the rest of the, Why are the girls who have not yet met the king... Why are they being gathered a second time right now? Why are we being told Mordechai is in the gate to the king? And again, the emphasis on Esther not telling of her of her uh, of 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 her um, lineage. Very strange, don't you think? And I, I happen to come across a very beautiful um, suggestion from Rav Yehoshua Bachrach. Rav Yehoshua Bachrach is uh, is uh, is, the, is the author of of, of, a, of many, sorry, Tanakh. One is called Kisvuni LeDoros, which is on this on this. Uh, on this Megillah. And he makes a fascinating suggestion. He says, maybe that's exactly what I was trying to say. Remember, Mordechai had not yet entered the Shara Melech. The Shara is the gate. Before now, the way that we found Mordechai was the only place he was, was he was, Mordechai Misalech Lifnei Chatzar Beisan Hashem. He spent the time outside the woman's courtyard trying to see how Esther was. The first time we hear him in the gate is after this story. The gate actually is associated with power. The gate is associated with an office in the king's cabinet, or some sort of uh, as some sort of justice or judge, perhaps what's happening over here is, is that as Mordechai now sees that she's arriving in the right place, he now takes he once he feels that he needs to get closer to power. He needs to invest in the society and climb the ranks of the king's of the king's cabinet, perhaps to have the influence or to help with the influence that Esther is making. But now, what, let's come back to that again. Why is the party happening? Why do we hear this tax break? Why do we hear about all these young ladies who are gathered a a second time? So the Gemara tells us in in, in Megillah an amazing thing. These are all leverage. Listen to this. The Gemara says in, in Megillah Yudgimel, He made a great feast. He made a great feast for her. He threw a ball second to none in order that she reveal where she comes from. She didn't reveal it. He said, I'll make a tax break. It's going to affect all your, all your brethren, your sisters, your brothers. Like she didn't reveal it. Shadar pardishnei He he sent out these gifts to all the ministers in her name, meaning to say he made it seem that she's doing so well. She still wouldn't reveal it. Then it goes on. So what's the next passage? He gathers the girls again. Amar Iskano, ela so he asks Mordechai for advice. And Mordechai says, maybe make her jealous. Maybe pretend that you're going to restart the process. And maybe out of jealousy for that place and role that she may have, she'll reveal to you. And she didn't. And that's the flow of the P'sukim. After all of these things, Esther's still not willing to uh, to 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 uh, to reveal her molalataq. Her which is a remarkable perspective. Okay? Um, and wait one second. So, I'm um, sorry. Um, so, so what, what happens is, I think this is a remarkable perspective here, is that under all this coercion, this coercion is not coming from the gods, it's not coming from Haggai. it's coming from the king himself, Esther still remains strong. All the values that we talked about, where it's the value of this is going to be more likely to, to, to have it rejected or more, accept, more accepted, the Ibn Ezra Rashi. Whereas the idea of being a little more careful as an exiled Jew about your identity, like the Hamek Ekdavar. Where this is an aspect of humility, like Rav Soloveitchik. Where this is an aspect of remaining not, not, not actively involved, but rather a, a, a victim of coercion, like Rav Alkabetz. Whatever those values are that are important to or just simply listening to her uh, her father or her uncle or her husband, Mordechai, those values are so strong in her, she's not willing to even buckle under the pressure, under all this pressure, whether it be the carrot or the stick, which is being, which is being shoved in her direction. That explains the trajectory of the right? He has the feast, that's the Mishtagaral, that's coercion number one. Then we have Hanachalam I Asa, that's the tax break, that's coercion number two. Then we have Masas Adamelech. those are the gifts, that's coercion number three. Then we have the girls being re- brought back together. That's cohesion number four. And still, the bottom line is estem mageres She still sticks to her guns. She's not willing to disclose. That's how far That's how far it goes over here. Which leads us to a very fascinating, um, uh, um, I would call, dialectic. And that is, is that in a, in a couple of Prakim time when genocide is slated and the nation of Israel stands to be completely obliterated, at such a point in time, Mordechai has to actually reverse this whole policy. And he has to beg her not to be silent. And we'll call it policy number one is now being reversed with with great difficulty on Esther's part. It is at that point in time that in fact she has to not only reveal, but she has to be proud and willing to sacrifice her life based on who she is and where her culture comes from. perhaps this moment, that's the turning point in the Megillah as to how it is that a Jew has to behave in a foreign culture. In this case, we're dealing with Persia as that foreign culture. But in many of the cultures that we've had, how successful are we supposed to be? How outwardly Jewish are we supposed to be? How proud, how careful must we be? How active in the political system must we be? How overtly active in the political system must we be? And the answer is complex. The answer seems to be that it depends on the time. It depends on the circumstance and opportunity. If it's or perhaps it's the time, as the Haymik says, that we don't volunteer information, which is not necessarily going to be necessary. This is the beginning of the start, starting of, of this thought process. I'd like to conclude the Gemara, which actually continues over there at the top of the Yudgimel, but out of going to base the Gemara says, Enough, uh, uh, that a tzaddik will never lose he, what he invested. Because Rachel was tzanua, then she begot Shaul. The tznius there refers to the fact that she did not volunteer that, in fact, that her sister was put in her place. And in the the the, the tznius that was that Shaul had his Ultimately he begot Esther. And it's it's fascinating that these are all about withhold with with withholding information, not taking the full credit for one's situation, even though one may be right or entitled to. And it's that balance which makes ultimately Esther the leader. Knowing when to exercise this and knowing when not to exercise this. These are two two perspectives I think which require a little bit more development that I would submit are a fascinating descri- description, a fascinating Opening into our reality, the reality of diaspora Jews, following and trying to trail behind Esther and uh, Esther Hamal. Any thoughts?